I hope everyone had a good 4th of July. It is good to be with you all again. This is myself and my family's first time back in the church, back worshiping together. And I don't know, there's just something about worshiping as, corporate, as a corporate family and as a congregation. And also something about singing and hearing voices other than your own. All right, so um, for those on the live stream, I thank you for joining us th this morning. And I just want to say that I'm looking forward to the day where we can all gather together and worship the Lord as a family. With that being said, before we get started, let us bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's day. We thank you for the privilege and the blessing that we have to come together to worship you as your people. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we look at your word. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive um, the commands that you have given us and in, in your word. Now, Father, we pray that you would be with us through this time. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you will, turn in your Bibles now to Romans chapter 12. Today we will be looking primarily at verses 10 and 11. As Bert mentioned, uh, several of us are going to be preaching while he's finishing up his PhD, and we're starting a series on the one another's. So this sermon will also serve as kind of an introduction to the series as a whole. Throughout Scripture, Christians are given instructions on how to live together and how to treat one another. I believe now is, is an important time for us to be reminded of these commands from the Word of God. We live in a time where it appears Christians are as divided as ever. And, and, and what makes this season unique is that on the surface, it appears that our divisions are not theological. It appears to be social or political as Christians who hold to the same doctrines and theological beliefs are divided on several issues. However, this should not allow us to miss the fact that these differences are in reality theological differences. As Dr. Carl Ellis describes it, there is side A theology and side B theology. Uh, side A theology, we tend to deal with our beliefs about God, his truth, his work of salvation, the sinful nature of man and creation. These are things that the church has debated about throughout history to include the Protestant Reformation. But side B theology is, therefore, in light of these truths, how do we treat each other? You can see this kind of represented in the Ten Commandments of God's law. For instance, we see commandments related to how we treat God and how we relate to God, and we see laws related to how we treat and relate one another. For example, thy shall not have no other gods before me. Thy shall not make any carved images in the likeness of things in heaven or on earth. Thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain. 
and I shall keep the Sabbath day holy. These commandments are directed towards God and who he is. However, the following commandments are related to how we treat one another. Honor thy mother and father. Thy shall not murder. Thy shall not commit adultery. Thy shall not steal. Thy shall not lie against your neighbor. Thy shall not covet what your neighbor has. So you can consider these more of the side B of theology. And just in case these were too many for us to remember, God broke it down into just two commandments for us. He said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He said this is the greater commandment. And then he tells us the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells us that the whole law and prophets rest on these two commandments. So while it appears that our current divisions are not theological, they are. It's just side B of theology. It is how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? So as I said, in this series, we're going to be examining some of the one another passages in Scripture. I believe these are helpful at this time because the one another's are what distinguishes Christians apart from the world. In the Old Testament, we see God make distinctions within Israel so that they would stand out from other nations. Israel was to be a light to the nations. And by conforming to the law of God, Israel would have been distinct from the pagan nations around it. This goes all the way to their dietary laws of what they were to eat and not to eat. They were to be different because they were God's people. The same is true for the church today. Conformity to God's commandments to love him above all else and to love our neighbors as ourselves is to distinguish us from the lost world around us. So the one another we're going to look at today is the commandment to honor one another. I know this term is not one that we use a lot in our culture today. We may speak of honoring the Lord, but very rarely do we say, speak of honoring one another. But hopefully after today that will change, or at least the practice of honoring one another. So we're going to read Romans chapter 12 through verse 11. We'll begin reading in verse 1, but our anchor text for today will be verses 10 and 11. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And here we go, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So we are not going to tackle this passage kind of going through points the way we typically would. But at the same time, I would not be a good Baptist if I did not give you three points. So the three points for today's sermon are, number one, honor one another. I think that one's pretty obvious. Number two, love the church. And number three, pursue it with zeal. That is, honor one another, love the church, pursue it with zeal. Outdo one another in showing honor. What does it mean to honor someone? The Greek word here means a valuing or a precious value. So to honor someone is to value them or to show them that you value them. We sometimes see this in our society. You have award ceremonies that seek to honor a special individual. Maybe it's like a lifetime achievement award. And throughout this event, they are making much of this person. They are touting off their works and how they've inspired others around them and how they are appreciated and valued within their particular community. They are made much of. In the cultural church context that I grew up in, pastors preached at other churches all the time. So, for example, let's say Warren Baptist Church is having an evening service and they are going to, say, celebrate their church's anniversary. And so they bring Bert in to preach that evening, to bring the message. Before Bert got up to preach, the, host, the pastor of the hosting church would make much of him. He would call him a dear brother in the faith, and he would speak about Bert's faithful ministry and what that has meant to him. In a way, that is basically what Paul is encouraging us to do for one another. He's saying, make much of each other. Let each other know that you value and appreciate one another. To help us understand what, what Paul is getting at, let's, let's look at the context in which Paul is writing to in his letter. From everything we know about the church at Rome, it was a pretty healthy church. 
Paul doesn't address or admonish them for any major theological heresies. However, at the time of Paul's writing, the church at Rome would have been a majority Gentile church with a minority Jewish population. And we know from experience that even healthy churches can struggle with differences and divisions. Especially when you think about the first century church and you're merging Jews and Gentiles into one new family. This is a struggle we see Paul addressing throughout Scripture. And his letter to the Romans is no different. In chapter 2, he warns them about judging in, um, in hypocrisy. In chapter 3, he concludes that none are righteous and all are under sin. Paul basically says, look, you're both equally sinful and in need of Jesus. Many scholars believe that the first part of the letter, Paul is addressing the Jews' attitude towards the Gentiles. For the Gentiles did not follow the Jewish traditions. And the Jews felt that by being physical children of Abraham, that they held some special place. But in chapter 11, Paul turns his attention to the Gentiles and says, hey, towards the Jews, do not be arrogant. And so he addresses both groups here. And so Paul here is writing to this multi-ethnic and multicultural local church, and he's telling each one of them to value one another. And not only is he saying to value one another, but he's saying to outdo one another in showing honor. Can, can you imagine what the church would look like if we were known for outdoing one another and showing honor to one another? Can you imagine if we actually made honoring one another a competition? Think about it. Think about it. Crawford Avenue Baptist Church could be like the Alabama Crimson Tide of honoring one another. I mean, we have a lot of trophies back here in, in the trophy cases, but can you imagine the trophy cases of heaven filled with trophies that says best at honoring one another? The world would be sick of us, I can tell you that. But you know what else they would do? They would wonder what made us different. They would wonder that why is it when the culture around us is at each other, at, at each other's throats, that we can still be loving and honoring towards one another? I'll tell you why. It is because we understand what it cost our Lord and Savior to purchase every single one of us. So whether we agree on a particular issue or not, you are valuable to me because you are valuable to God. This is why in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 12, Paul is highlighting the diversity of the body of Christ. We are not all the same and we don't all have the same functions. But whatever you bring to the body of Christ, it is valuable. John Ross, brother, I value your heart for music and worship and the care and thought you give every week to our liturgy. Joshi Barra, brother, I value your heart for just governance within our nation. 
Josh LaFever, brother, I value your heart for the oppressed and for the nations, and I look forward to the day that we as a church can send you and Leah out to the nations. Tim Altmix, brother, I value your heart for the unborn and your passion and your generosity. Garrett Black, brother, I value your heart and love of apologetics and protecting the church from false teaching. Ms. Wendy Cornelison, I love and I value your heart for discipling young women and the mother that you have been to so many. Cheryl Brown, I value your heart of hospitality and the study of God's word. Brandon and Candace Garrett, I love and value your heart for serving. And Ross McDaniel, I love and value your heart for local missions and the neighborhood of Harrisburg. I could go on and on and on. But this is what we're called to do. And not in some superficial way, as Paul says in verse 9, let your love be genuine. During this COVID-19 shutdown, I got a little card in the mail one day. And it was from Vanessa Fazada. And it was a small gesture, but it was simply thanking me for my service as an elder and that, to let me know that she was praying for me and for my family. And like I say, it was a small gesture, but it was a great encouragement to me. So one thing that is implied about the one another's we're going to be looking at and one thing I believe we need to highlight is the fact that we have to be in community with one another to carry these things out. We have to actually know one another and know things about one another to value one another and honor each other. This is why our modern church culture struggles with these things. We don't know each other, and we can be guilty of treating the church as a place that we attend once a week for the sole purpose of the benefit of ourselves and serving our needs. And if the church doesn't meet our comfort or needs, then we leave and shop for a church that does cater to our likes and desires. In other words, we approach the church more as consumers shopping for what fits us more than as a covenant member of a community. In the New Testament, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and it is translated from the Old Testament word kahal. Both words simply mean assembly. But when Jesus tells Peter, on this rock I will build my church, ekklesia, and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it, what does he mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the word kahal referred to the, old, to the people of Israel being brought out of slavery in Egypt and into Canaan. So then Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to build his ecclesia. He's saying he's going to build not just a one-day-a-week assembly, but a nation, a community of people that live together and do life together. Being part of the church requires more than showing up one day a week hearing a sermon and getting out of the door to beat the church crowd to lunch. 
guilty. We are Jesus' ecclesia. And there are certain characteristics that should define us and make us distinct from the world. These characteristics or these one another's cannot be expressed or lived out uh, without us being in community with one another. Along with being in community, in community, to show honor also requires a posture of humility and considering others as more important than ourselves. I, I like the way the NASB translates verse 10. It reads, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. So because we value one another above ourselves, we are continually to be in a position where we are stepping aside and giving preference to the other person. I don't know about you, but as I studied this and as I looked at this, I began to think that this is sounding a lot like a marriage. And, 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 and that is because like marriage, being a part of the church is a covenant relationship. It's a commitment that we have made to one another and we are responsible to live in a way that upholds the covenant. I don't believe it's a coincidence that in Ephesians 5, prior to Paul addressing the covenant of marriage, he addresses the covenant of the church. In Ephesians 5, Paul begins with, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, sacrifice to God. So there you have the price paid for us all. Christ gave himself up for us. And then he gives instructions on how we are to live with one another. And he closes with this line in chapter 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is the same sentiment as our verses here in Romans 12. Our disposition is to be one of humility and submission to one another. This is why Paul tells us in verse 3 that we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. This is how we are able to honor one another when we place ourselves low under others in service to the Lord. So what's stopping us from living this out? What is stopping us from honoring one another? Why does this concept of honoring one another seem so rare amongst Christians today? Well, like the covenant of marriage and increased divorce rate, it comes down to sin. Sin prohibits the flourishing of marriage as God has intended, and it prohibits God's people from living in community as he has intended. It is the sin of pride and the sin of me when it comes, when, when it's about us and not ultimately about God, our hearts are disproportionately, dispositioned wrongly and it makes us hard. It makes it hard to put others first. We are too busy, we become too busy focusing on our own wants and our own desires. In his book, The Gospel-Centered Community, Robert Thune talks about how sin leads to the wrong disposition of our heart and affects our relationships. 
He states, and I quote, on your own, we are relentless, self-focused people. We want to be at the center of our lives and at the center of our relationships. That translates into a functional view of community that keeps me at the center. The relationships in my life revolve around me and exist for me. But the truth is that God is the center of everything. From him and through him and to him are all things. So every relationship in my life is ultimately about God. Every struggle, conflict, broken relationship is an opportunity to worship God more deeply and be more formed more fully to his image. When I am the center, every conflict leads to polarization, me versus you. I am the center after all. How dare you not honor me as I deserve to be honored? End quote. So do you see how sin keeps us from prioritizing and honoring others by focusing our attention on ourselves? Do you see how this could lead to the polarization of a community? We see this played out in churches across the country. We see this played out in marriages where husbands and wives begin to view their relationship as more of a transaction and it becomes more about what they are getting out of it. It becomes more about their needs, their wants, and their desires. We also see this played out on social media where we can really make it all about us and we can negate the principles we're called to live out amongst one another. So me-ism or individualism can often be a hindrance to true Christian community. Robert Thune also gives five indicators of individualism, and he lists them out as self-reliance, self-sufficiency, self-protection, self-importance, and self-will. We see these in our Western society today. We have taken the concept of me-centeredness to its infinite degree. It is we who get to determine our identity and reality. And we are the centers of our own universe. These are the principles that dominate our society and our culture, but they are not to be the distinguishing characteristics of Jesus' ecclesia, his church. So as sin and self-centeredness hinders us from having hearts that allow us to show honor to one another, then what is the solution? Well, as any good Sunday school question, the answer is obviously Jesus. Scripture tells us to look to Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8 reads, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not, only, not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he says, have this in mind. Have this in mind. And in Romans 12, he tells us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds and to not think too highly of ourselves. Instead, Paul says, think like Jesus. Jesus is our example. Jesus did not seek his own will, but, but, but sought to glorify the Father by becoming low. For us to be able to honor one another, we must change the way we think about ourselves, the church, and community. Paul anchors this idea of honoring one another on two principles. The first principle is brotherly love. Look at the first half of verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. So the Greek word here is Philadelphia. And we know the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is the city of brotherly love. It gets its name from the same Greek word. But in Scripture and in the New Testament, the word is only used for the relationships of a Christian to another Christian. We are to have a special bond and love for each other as spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 uses the term brotherly love as well, and it states, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. What I find amazing about this idea of brotherly love, and I believe it's important for us to reflect on, is the idea that the covenant of marriage will end one day. As much as we love our spouses, it is a temporal institution. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22 that in the last days of the resurrection of the dead, there won't be marriage. But the covenant we share together as brothers and sisters in Christ is an imperishable covenant. It is everlasting and will last for all eternity. We are family for all eternity. And we are to love one another with a brotherly affection in light of this truth. Secondly, Paul anchors the idea of honoring one another in our service to God. Look at verse 11. It reads, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Now, I'm not going to go too deep into serving because in the, in the coming weeks, we're going to go deeper into what it means to serve one another. But in our act of honoring one another, we need to realize we are ultimately serving the Lord. Just as Christ placed himself, uh, just as Christ placed us before himself and honored us to the glory of the Father, we are to do likewise to one another. Think about that. Jesus valued us. We are precious to him to the point to where he died for us. Do we see each other that way? Are we precious to one another? Finally, we are not to grow slothful or weary in doing this. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. This goes along with the concept of outdoing one another. We are not to be slothful or to lack zeal in these things. To have zeal means to have great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of something. So let us pursue hard these distinctions of the Christian faith. Let us pursue hard and live out these one another's. Let us pursue hard after ways to show honor to one another. And let us pursue hard after brotherly affection for one another. In the book of Galatians, Paul puts it this way. He says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Do not grow weary. So as we are divided on many things in our society, and as we can allow our flesh and the sin of self-centeredness make us contentious towards one another, over various disagreements inside and outside the church. Let us not be slothful in zeal. Let us not be slothful in humbling ourselves and in seeking ways to honor one another, even when we disagree. And I would argue more so when we disagree. It's easy to love someone who loves you. It's easy for us to be nice to those who are nice to us and to those who agree with us. But to honor those with whom we disagree is rooted in a brotherly love for the body of Christ and ultimately in service to God. May he be glorified through our love and our honoring of one another. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to live out these one another's. We pray that you would give us strength and that you would give us wisdom to make ourselves low and to think of others as more important than ourselves. We pray that you would give us hearts that have brotherly affection for one another and that we would value each other as you have valued us that we would view each other as precious and that we would love one another and be zealful in our ways 
to honor one another and ultimately for your glory. It is in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.